Now, we all know that Martin can metabolise a pint in five minutes, but I bet even he wouldn't turn his nose up at getting free beer delivered to his door. Yes, our friends at Beer 52 are offering our listeners a free case of eight unique craft beers. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF and cover the postage of $5.95. Beer 52 is the world's largest beer club. Even Big Mandy is welcome, but not Colin. He's an utter bozo. Each month, members are sent a crate of beer with different themes. Don't like dark beer? Then choose the light option. Comes with a magazine and two snacks, BLT and crumpets not included. Don't be a cockwomble. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF to get this amazing offer. That's www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF. The following podcast contains strong language, like what the actual fuck. Hello, this is Daisy, and you're listening to What the Actual Fuck. Scarecrow Festival is like the most important day of the year. Daft cow. This is just ridiculous. What the actual fuck. Hey, what the actual fuckers, and welcome to WTAF, a This Country podcast. First, he's a man who has just got back from the garage as he has to try and sort his car roof out. He just had 25 pair of Doc Martens crushing his car roof like a Coke can. It's Neil. Hello. And how apt? I have just got back from the garage. Uh, what, Is because it... of Doc Martens crushing your roof? Or... No, it's just a faulty door lock that I've been waiting to be fixed since way before all this lockdown happened. All right, but now you've sorted it. Yeah, and now it's been crushed by the skinheads. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now series three in the show may have finished, but this episode we have the man who many, including ourselves, would say was the star of the final series. He's back for his third appearance on the podcast, which means we need to send him the match ball after a hat trick of episodes. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the nicest man in show business, Reverend Fiery Francis Seaton himself, Paul Shahidi. (laughs) Oh, what an introduction. Thanks, guys. The hat trick. I've done it. You've done done it. it. We will literally find a football, sign it for you, though that will mean nothing, and send it to you. So you, you're the very first person we've had on three times. Oh, I'm honoured. I am absolutely honoured. What a pleasure to be back. Thank you. It's wonderful. Well, we will start with Series 3 because, um, like I said in the introduction, I, th- I think everybody that we've spoken to in the fan community said that it was your series. So when you got the the scripts originally, were you excited by that? Were you daunted by it a little bit? Because it's sort of a lot of it, a lot of the emotional weight, I think, fell on you in this episode. Yeah, I I was delighted. I mean, it's just one of those things. It's such a gift that you you can only dream of, really. So to have, I don't know, writing of that calibre and written for you, because by then, by now, you see, I mean, got to series three we had a special in 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 between all of that as well you know charlie and daisy and tom and simon they just we all just know each other so well they know each of us the actors so well and charlie and daisy's writing it's like you know it's like a tailor-made suit difference between an ill-fitting off the peg and a a beautiful Savile Row suit, whatever that must feel like, because I just like I've never had one. Anyone listening out there who wants to get me one, that'd be very, very welcome. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was it. Well, I, I did look at it and go, "Oh, there's a lot of line learning," and um, and I, I'm going to sort of crack on with that. But no, I, in every way, I was like, "This is wonderful and such generous writing for the vicar," um, and. It felt like it had been building on each series, you know, the vicar, they went deeper with him and with other characters, but particularly the vicar. And um, yeah, I was, I was just blown away by, again, the quality of the writing. I mean, I, I, I don't know how, how people feel, but I, I felt like he, although the previous series and the special were 
beautifully written. I thought this was the best of the lot because it just went deeper with everyone and mm. kind of plumbed more emotional depths. Mm. Yeah. So when you, so Paul, when you first got to um, the set, was it like you hadn't been away? You all instantly came back as a family. Yeah. Uh, it yes, it was. I mean, very much so. We. We, we, you know, we all like each other. That really, really helps. We're all very mm. at ease with each other and um, enjoy each other's company and also respect and enjoy each other's work and rate each other. Um, uh, and, you know, the, there were a few wonderful new faces on board um, and then plenty of, of the team returning who were on series one even. And that just puts you at ease. So, you know, everyone just slots in you've got a shared vocabulary you don't have to get to know each other too much you're just slotting in you can you can get things done very quickly because everyone understands what's what's needed you know from the camera crew to sound to the actors makeup uh all of us you know it was um so it was joyous you know coming back to north Leet, <laughs> you know, when you say set it is it's the town of North Leach and it's just, you know, the old streets, the old venues, the, the you know, the vicar's office was still there and you know, the hall next to it. And um, yeah, so it was one of we, oh my goodness, I can't, I, mean, I can't remember exactly when it was, I think it was August or something, but we, we had the most glorious weather as well. And it was just idyllic. Um, so yes, couldn't have been nicer. So you were, you were given the task I mean, I can remember when we were speaking about um, after Michael died, uh, unfortunately passed away. We're thinking, oh my God, how how is the show going going to address that? And you were given the task uh, in the show as the vicar to sort of. It's hard to work out exactly how to put it because it's like you're not announcing it. I suppose you are announcing it to certain people, aren't you? But you're announcing it within the show to the people watching the documentary. That must have been very emotional and hard to get through that one particular scene yes it was uh, i mean there was so much sadness that everyone was carrying and, and particularly daisy and charlie because they were so close to michael and uh, i think they held a lot of that in in order to mm. just get on with the work it, it came out more actually afterwards and you know there were we had a q and a at um at the the BFI after just before the launch of series three. And, you know, Daisy, it was beautiful. Actually, Daisy was talking about Michael and she, she, she was crying and, you know, and I think it was finally, she had the chance to start processing it and letting it out. But it was a beautiful honoring of Michael's spirit uh, written by two of his closest friends. So you knew it was authentic. You knew it was respectful, but it was also absolutely true to the show and and it is a cliche to say this, but it is what Michael wanted. We know that. I mean, Michael wanted to be in the show at mm. one point. He said, look, when I'm gone, can you in, can, can my coffin appear? You know, can we get... Uh, and we were like, I'm not sure that can happen, Michael, but we're <laughs> going gonna to find a way. And, and they, had, they, they handled it with such delicacy and um, amazing humour, but, but just such delicacy and such emotional truth. And they handled it, they, they, they dealt with it head on from the word go, which I think was the right way. And it was some, such a difficult balancing act they achieved. And I, I can't quite believe how they did it. But, you know, they, 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 they walked that high wire act between honouring him and the seriousness of something that actually happened and just being absolutely brilliantly funny and true to the show um whilst not being disrespectful to him and we know that that came across because his family uh were very happy with with the way we it was dealt with which was a hugely important thing to all of us um yes yeah, so it, it was an honor to to say those lines particularly um mm. and you know my memory is it was one of the early earliest bits of filming so quite glad to get that done because it did feel like a responsibility. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I'm, I felt so glad they asked me and felt deeply privileged. So, yeah. Mm. 
So what was your thoughts, Paul, when you first read the script to that episode? Was well, it thought, exactly as it was when you saw, as we saw it? But, uh, pretty much. I mean, gosh, it's a while ago now. Gosh, isn't it? We're coming up to nearly a year uh, since we filmed. Mm. Um, I mean, always changes. So <laughs> we know by now when we get a script for this country that to, to not, not get too attached to anything, because whatever's written, we might change even the day before or even on the day. And again, going back to your earlier question, that's one of the beauty beauties of um, beautiful things about working with such a tight tight team is you can do that on you can turn on a sixpence you can do that it's not a big deal and yeah give me that just give me 10 minutes I'll learn those new lines we can do a whole scene we'll riff our way through some of it we'll come on script for the rest um and um what was your question again? I've come lost when you first read the script to, to when you first read it to when it was filmed of episode one, was there much of a change or was it pretty much there on the page? Um, I think most of it was there. There was one or two episodes which we knew were a bit overwritten, were a bit too long, and we knew that they were working frantically away at it uh, while we were filming. Um, mm. And we were having the odd read through of things and and just, just seeing if they worked. Um, so, I mean, I think this one got written quite near, much nearer the time of filming than, than the other series, perhaps. Um, and um, But to be honest, there's always been a script that's delivered for the start of filming and then masses of changes as we go along, uh, some of which are scripted through scripting and some of which are through improvising. So I, d I don't feel it was a massive change from what we got, but there right. were changes, yeah. Well, with series three, I think another thing that we've said all the way through all series and um, the special as well is that Kerry and Curtin don't seem to have an arc. They just float around and they carry on doing what they do. And you get the feeling that even in 20, 30 years time, they're both still going to be in the village, both still going to be looking at decaying foxes or, or whatever. They, <laughs> they're never going to change. Whereas in this series, the vicar had a definite arc. And I don't think anybody saw the vicar leaving as a thing that was going to happen. We had all these different theories of what was going to happen. Um, were you happy that there was a, a bit of a, an ending to the vicar story? Yeah, I was. It was a beautiful ending and something needed to happen, but I don't think it could have ended with Kerry and Curtin leaving the village because that just would, wouldn't have been true. It wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been true to the characters. Uh, and it felt right, right that the vicar would move along. I, I mean, I, don't, I know, I know what you mean when you're talking about their characters, but actually, I think they did have an arc and they did change. It's just that they stayed in the village, right? <laughs> so, okay. So, well, in that, I think they matured even within their own parameters. Kerry and Curtin learnt to be having gone from being absolutely the children to the vicar father figure, they were kind of the parental figures at the end. They mm. were giving him advice. They had matured enough to go to him and come full circle and say, you know, you've got to go, don't you? You know, and, mm. and it, it was beautiful that they did that because you don't expect that. You no. expect a bully to just follow their, their, their arc of, well, yeah, he's a, he's a bald snake, you know, he's, a, <laughs> <laughs> he's an evil psychopath. <laughs> who's trying to control us all he's a puppet master but that twist was so beautiful so there was a, a i would say there was an art for them but absolutely staying in the village <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so i mean i you know i know it's not going to happen but you know it would be fascinating to see how, see how they are you know five years on in the village you can imagine them um mm. and what they're what they're getting up to you know but um yeah, it was it was the right thing to do, and it was uh, it was a kind of good full stop to the end of this whole story. Mm. One of the questions I wanted to ask you, Paul, after watching this series, was in the driving lesson, episode two. You're yes. actually driving the car around <laughs> North Lynch whilst yeah. that. How hard is that? <laughs> well, luckily, uh, I haven't got my driving gloves on. I'm a fairly handy driver, Neil. 
um, I don't want to get all top gear about it. No, I, I, I it was, well, it was quite an old Volvo on that series. I was much happier with the Golf, if I'm honest. Uh, she was a beautiful little mover, the Golf. <laughs> um, but, um, but no, we, I think you may know the saga. On the day we were supposed to start filming that whole episode, the Volvo arrived and it's all about learning how to drive. And the Volvo we got was an automatic, not a stick shift. And it come all the way from Essex. So oh, we yeah. thought, you know, we were screwed. The whole day was going to be wasted. But somehow they got another Volvo that looked similar enough that was stick shift by the end of the day. And we just filmed certain bits, the, the exteriors on the, on mm. the automatic. But um, it, it, it was, it's fine. There, there are some sort of, hairy moments where you're kind of having to do dialogue it's when you go down the country lanes the town is fine because that's mm. you know easily negotiable but you go down the narrow country lanes and, and you, you you started a scene and it's suddenly there's a huge lorry that no one is <laughs> coming the other way and you've got to you've got to keep talking it's like spinning the plate and you've got to kind of sort of there might be a, a funny bit or a, an emotional bit <laughs> I mean, I just got to keep going. I mean, the biggest problem with filming inside the car was getting the giggles because, you know, I'm, I get giggly at the best time with Charlie and Daisy. But And Charlie, when he was, it was in some of the outtakes, when he was driving and pretending to lose control, I was just absolutely <laughs> wetting myself. But um, in answer to your question, no, I, I was just about okay. I had I had some practice practice with it, so it was okay. <laughs> Oh, we, uh, there's other things about Series 3 I want to talk about, but mm. you talk about the bloopers, and we've said hundreds of times on this episode, uh, on this podcast that we love bloopers. And so we were so happy when finally there were some This Country bloopers. Um, I'm assuming that that isn't all of the ones that, that would have happened in Series 3, but the one where you're at the door and uh, Curtin is... Um, <sighs> he can see you through. That's one that seems to me that that took a long time to get over that one. That, i tell you the story behind that, that was the, my last day of filming and it was one of the last days of filming. And it was such a simple scene. I mean, how hard can it be to just open the door? And it's the first time I did it, Charlie went and I went, I thought, oh, we're in trouble here. And, and we, <laughs> we had to get it done. It was my final day. Yeah. Um, and it was also, as it happened, by the end of that morning, the day that Simon Mayhew Archer, the producer, got the call from his wife that her waters had broken and she'd gone to hospital and he hot-tailed it down to London, left early and uh, to, to be at the birth of his son. Um, oh, right. But, but that, that, that door scene is just, well, uh, yeah, it was starting to get out of control. And there's a point at which it goes from being funny to actually being quite scary because you feel like you have no control or self-discipline whatsoever, and some kind of laughing demon has taken over, and you'll never get anything done. <laughs> but we just about reined in it. I mean, only just. But that was just one of many. I mean, the blooper reel is probably about a twentieth of the the number of scenes that were just lost to uncontrollable giggling. I mean, there was one day. I mean, it was one of I'd say the hardest day of all was with Big Mandy in the book club scene where she just kicks off uh, and the scenes where I had to sit with her and while she recounts her stories that she's written herself, mm. it, it just had us all in stitches. And at one point I had um, Ashley Maguire, oh, such a brilliant, brilliant actress uh, who, who plays Big Mandy. In between takes, we were all giggling and loads of her stuff was directed at me. And so everyone else got off really lightly and they were giggling <laughs> off camera while filming was happening. And I had yeah. to keep a straight face because I was receiving and the camera was on me. I was receiving all this stuff and listening. And in between takes, I said, Ash, I, I don't think I can do this. You're just too funny. And I, I said, look, you're staring at me, you know, whenever I'm speaking with this kind of stone cold killer stare. And she, she, I said, well, what, what are you thinking? What's going through your brain as Big Mandy? And, and she said, well, Big Mandy just hates you 
for being a vicar. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that sounds like Big Mandy. She just hates you for being a vicar. <laughs> That's her motivation. <laughs> yeah, that didn't help. It just made me laugh even more. But um, yes, it's always there. I mean, you've got to watch it because you've got to get it done. But it was just joyous. And even Celeste, who, you know, Celeste drinks, she never goes. She was going as well. Mm. Um, so who plays Kaylee? Um, yes, but... <laughs> much fun it, do you have a process of getting over that or is it just a fact of just taking some deep breaths and trying to just calm yourself i punched myself in the face i i know i i literally you know you do i've done it before i've literally slapped myself going come on you know like like you imagine people doing so but but um but no, you just take a deep breath and you have to and and Tom is brilliant. Tom George is is brilliant at just going. Okay, it's fine. It's good. He never gets loses his temper because he goes as well. But you know he, he he'll just say, let's take a moment. It's fine. If you laugh, you laugh. It's fine. As soon as, soon as someone says, if you laugh, you laugh, and it's all fine. You it starts to subside. It's when you feel like I mustn't mustn't laugh, and it can just get worse like a tsunami of laughter um yeah, but yeah, yeah it, 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 you just deep breaths and you know when you know the camera's not on you you just you just take your moments i just can't whenever i could in those book club scenes if it didn't look weird i just wouldn't look at ashley because i couldn't look at her she would just set me off and mm. she was staring at me the whole time <laughs> <in his face. laughs> like a psychopath <laughs> brilliant paul um, as an actor then i mean when you're on stage a new corpse like that how do you recover then well that's really hard I, do you know i mean until i started this country i was very rarely the one who corpsed and i don't corpse that much on stage although i do enjoy a laugh and stuff i, I usually am the one who controls it very well and other people go um mm. and um yes but it did happen i mean I'd hate for anyone to think I was totally unprofessional. <laughs> I do get through performances and, and without any corpsing. But there have been one or two occasions where I remember early in my career, I did a production of the Arabian Nights and it was in the round. So all around us, the audience, very close quarters at the Young Vic. And uh, a group of us just got the giggles. There were only six of us in the cast and it was just horrendous. And again, you have to just, you have to think of something really unfunny or grim or mm. sad or anything, anything at all to just get you out of the giggle zone. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the hardest things as myself and Pav will... Uh, I we, bet you uh, have a few. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've tried, tried to, yeah, when we tried recording jingles, there'll be something that will be just, and it's, it's not funny. It's not something that's funny that makes you laugh. I think that's the problem. Yeah. But then it sticks in your head and like the, the well, video recorder, kids, look on Google for a video recorder. It plays, it replays it in your head over and over again. And then that's it. You, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. You're just stuffed. Yeah. It's, it's a very, very strange phenomenon. Um, we actually finally got to meet you in the flesh uh, in the summer of last year at the This Country Charity Football Match. Yeah. <laughs> Which again was another one of those amazing days that just oh, it was like great, yeah, wasn't it? it was fantastic. You were the manager of the this country team. Yes. Uh one of the greatest photographs I've ever seen is when you ran onto the, the, the pitch remonstrating with the referee about one of his decisions. Uh I think it's up on our, our website. You know, you've got to find it. It's a fantastic <laughs> photo. How was that for you for that day? Because it was a great day. It really was. Oh, it's a great day, and you know it was brilliant to to raise money for for charity, and and great to see all the gang, uh, and what a turnout from people, mm. and you know remembering um, <clears throat> Michael uh, at the match as well was beautiful, mm. and it was it was absolutely bonkers, and I know very little about football. I mean, I'm one of the few actors I know who doesn't really follow football, so I literally had to ask people like Callum. Uh, who's our AD, uh, assistant director, and, uh, and um, ask him, what, what, what would a manager do at this point? I mean, I was all set to run out and shout at people, but I had to say, what are the things managers shout to their team? He gave me a few hints. So I took that and ran with it. Um, but it was, it was great, and it was great to meet so many of the fans, and there is so much, oh, I was blown over by the, you know, the love for the, 
for the show from people. It really is a passion people have for it. So, so it's wonderful. Mm. Absolutely fantastic. So when you, um, have you watched the series, Paul, yourself? I have in bit, well, I tell you what, I saw some rough cuts because I needed to, because we were going to do some odd days of filming uh, before it got finally edited. And then I, uh, I was in America filming when it came out. And then when I got back, I watched it over sort of two nights. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, I, <clears throat> it can sometimes take me a while to come, come around to watching things I'm in. Uh, mm. I mean, partly because I, I really don't like seeing my, <laughs> my ugly mug on the screen. I mean, honestly, I find it still fine. I'm quite self-conscious seeing myself and all I can, think about is oh is that a good choice is that a good choice but I'm, I'm gradually getting better at that but um yeah I watched it about probably about a couple of months after it it came out here mm-hmm. or the last or the last episode came out um yeah and you know it was so nice to watch the finished versions because I'd seen something that was not the same mm-hmm. and it was so interesting to see you know because that you know Tom and Simon come in and shape it with Charlie and Daisy at the end with the editing process it's so crucial and to see what they'd left out what they put in and and particularly the whole ending how they were going to to end it because we had a number of different versions of the final scene i can't remember exactly what they were but some were a bit more I don't want to say sentimental, but but compared to what they finally went with, they were a bit a bit um, a bit more touchy feely. Whereas the ending was a bit bit more like, yeah, you know, let's let's go then, let's move on, whatever, you know, let's not dwell on this and make it a bigger bigger thing than it is. And uh, so it was, yeah, it was it was lovely seeing it. Mm. I was going to ask, Paul, did you have a favourite episode that you watched rather than? appeared in um i'm trying to think from that final series you mean yeah um i did i mean i did love the final Mm. final episode uh it's so hard it's like how do you you know how do you choose that the writing's just sublime it, it really is. And so even the ones I was in, I was going, oh, really, that writing is amazing. And uh, I loved so much. I mean, I loved, I love watching, I can't pick out a certain episode, actually, but but, but I do love the, the kind of denouement of the whole thing in the final, yeah. final episode. And I just love watching the other actors, you know, Ashley and and Trevor and you know it's just uh, well all of them they're just such wonderful actors in those scenes with mm-hmm. such brilliant writing um, mm-hmm. but I, I, I liked I like any I mean it's in all the episodes but I particularly like the scenes where there is a kind of an emotional center to it and that comes yeah. out more so um, I suppose the final one is the big one for that because uh, there's so much pent up frustration and anger and fear in all the characters, and then it all comes out and resolves itself. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you say about pent up anger because in all the series, it's um, the lovely Reverend Francis Seaton has always got that little bit of anger bubbling away, whether he's having a go at a traffic warden or he's shouting at Len or he's having a go at June in the like the the, the last couple of episodes he's always got that little bit of fire that you feel that as, as nice as he is, there is, especially in the episode in the, in the driving lesson, when he starts talking about his dad, there's a lot mm. there to unpack. Do, do you wish that maybe that, that had been unpacked a little bit more or do you think it was just right in what, what was shown? I, I think the time was right because in the, in the previous two series, it was much more about uh, Daisy and uh, about, Kerry and Curtin uh, and uh, it, it, if they were going to explore the character of the Vicar more it, it needed to wait till that final series and um, you know what what you had references to in previous series they, they they expanded on brilliantly so you know he talks about having a temper and being a bit of a hothead on the, the, 
the hockey pitch or whatever it was he was the on. Netball you know court. the netball court sorry and um, <laughs> and uh, you know then they take that and give have that beautiful scene in the car where he talks about his kind of abusive father who mm. who bullied him and uh you know a lot a lot is left unsaid even though he says a lot uh in that speech about his childhood and then you know what's very true to life is reverend francis is yes he is a kind nice decent patient man but as with all people who are trying to be nice and to some extent although he does ask difficult questions of people but a lot of the time he's trying to please everyone and as as in real life people who please or try to please all the time do it at a cost to themselves because they never really say what they actually feel because they're suppressing it to try and help the other people Mm. and that comes out at some point sooner or later in human beings so it's very true to life and uh you know <laughs> he eventually reaches his you know his breaking point with june you know and it I just it had to be june didn't it and so he so... should because <laughs> she's a terrible woman yeah. <laughs> she is a terrible well, she, woman she did have it coming i mean you she's know. absolutely <laughs> sc- scuffage on a sprinkler hose i mean really it's yeah. ridiculous yeah I will say my favourite, I think my favourite scene in all of uh, Series 3 is in Driving Lesson when Reverend Seaton's talking about his, like his, his jacket with the shoulder pads. Oh, um, great. And you go, you. you go through all this very emotional, and it's obviously something that's deep inside that has hurt you for years and years. And then Kerry turns around and goes, well, he, yeah, but he didn't hit you, did he? And, you know, all he did was take the piss out of your jacket. And then you say, well, there were other times... And that is heartbreaking because you go from you to, like pouring your heart out, Kerry then saying, well, he, he didn't really do anything to you, did he? He just took the piss out of your fashion. And yeah. then that that is a, such a gut-wrenching line when you say, no, they were I'm beautifully delivered, I must say. Oh, well, thank you. That, that was improvised, actually. We, uh, that, that, there were other times thing. Um, but it wouldn't have come if I hadn't had all the, the, the the building blocks of the that that amazing speech yeah but you know we we'd said enough by that stage uh, uh, for the character but when she said that i can't remember if daisy's line was also potentially um i think i think that would have been improvised too and my response was also improvised but you know we we needed to kind of move on to the next thing but what what i felt was you know what he described his father doing was just the tip of an iceberg of some kind mm, mm. and and as far as he was prepared to go in telling them because it's too painful uh but it's just it's so true to life though i think we're all mm. we all have those instances where we've been deeply hurt and um it often goes back to our childhood because that's when we're most vulnerable and when it's a parent who's done it, it never leaves you that. And you yeah. you hide it as an adult, but it's always there and it comes out in in moments in life when you're feeling vulnerable again. And uh, it's funny, you know, I think where we are now it, with the lockdown and everything, everyone's feeling really vulnerable and stuff is coming out that you kind of, you don't show people and you, you perhaps keep hidden from yourself. You, you mm. Stuff that has been long suppressed. And I think that's a very strange and difficult time for people it's also you know a chance to actually it might something good might come out of it on a personal level but it's yeah i I thought the writing was so beautiful there um Mm. and so true that someone as nice as him is that way because he wants to please but also because he is wanting to get away from some deep deep deep-seated hurt yeah by focusing on other people rather than himself and they they are strangely wise aren't they they say the trouble with you vicar is you know you're always thinking of other people uh you know you never think about yourself they're saying that to get him to do something other than going sorry excuse me a sec i'm recording right well we can pause (laughs) (laughs) i'm talking to reverend seaton don't you realize i'm talking to a man of the cloth Sorry. You should goodness. keep that in. That is, <laughs> that is a sign of the times. But, you know, thank goodness we don't have to be I was, polished. And... 
it's it's my 25 year old daughter wanting to get her scooter love her it scooter out of the shed that's what she wants and i think because she did that i may well keep that in <laughs> I, mean, I apologize you were in not at all call. no but oh, i think dear. that's i think i think uh, just say that that is very true to to life what they've written and it was be- it was so lovely to be able to play with that in the script Mm. Yeah. So, how do you feel Reverend Seaton will do in Bristol? For um, <laughs> the needle exchange, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. The thing we did feel that maybe it was a little bit naive, and again, heartbreaking because he felt that it was like he wasn't ready for it. When I think everybody knows that he is, how yeah. do you think he's going to do in Bristol? I think he is initially going to struggle, but I, I think he is so winning that. Um, he he will he will survive and he will he will find a way of thriving uh there i dread to think though what those bristol gangsters and to use co- <laughs> and what the, 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 the what is it bristol good fellas i don't know what the phrase was that Kurt used. wise guys wise, wise guys is. what they're gonna do to <laughs> because <laughs> you know the level of advantage taking that will go on there i think will be on another level altogether but i like to think he'll be all right and he will have a support network he may be a bit out of his depth for the first year or so but you know what i think after seeing the way he treated curtain when curtain ran up behind him on the bridge at the railway i think he's <laughs> going to be fine i don't think nobody's going to want to come nowhere near him because he knows how to look after himself aikido a few aikido moves <laughs> there were some moves there curtain was on his ass he had no <laughs> chance i don't think the vicar's got any problems there i really don't <laughs> I would, I would love to see it as a sitcom itself. I think it would be a perfect comedy. Well, it's interesting. I listened to your episode with, with Simon, and I, I tend to agree with him that it would just be Rev in some ways. Mm. Because well, yeah. I feel like... I, I mean, I think it's a wonderful character. I'm sure he could survive in some form, but I just don't think it would be anywhere near as good without Kerry and Curtin there. Um... And I feel like the vicar character in that kind of context has been explored before without a Kerry and Curtin um, in Rev. Uh, but just on a personal level, I would be curious to see how he was doing in Bristol. Mm. Absolutely. But that's kind of you to say that because that's a compliment. So I, yeah. I'll take that. <laughs> I mean, Daisy and Charlie have both said that, you know, they're not going to shut the door completely on this country. Do you think it would be a better thing to to maybe, like you say, five, ten years down the line, maybe the vicar goes back to the village yeah. just, to, just to see what they're doing? I mean, I'm sure you'd be up for that, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it made me laugh because at, at one point after the series went out, it was... Nope, that's it. It's over. It's over. That is it. Then I sort of look on Twitter or something a month or so later, and Daisy's gone and said, No, no, I think we'll definitely do a special. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) Fabo, anything could happen. Uh, I I think, um, you know, I think if they were going to do something, the obvious choice would be a special because you could either take it, you know, chronologically and revisit the vicar coming back to the village after he's left or you could do pre him leaving you could do a christmas special or something like that and that would be fun to do i mean i i think we'd all be up for that but i in general terms i think it was a really good bold strong decision to end it on three series i mean you look at some of the those those programs that you love, like The Office and Vault 40,000 and all that, I, I, they made the right decision. I'm sure there were voices saying, come on, well, this could run and run. This could run and let's do it. It's like, no, let's end it on a high and let's, let's leave it where it is and let's not stretch credibility. Um, I think the problem is what, how much stuff can you have if it's just in the village? Uh, the answer is probably it could go on, but it might, it might lose its sheen, and I think that would be a pity. I think that would be a pity. Completely agree with that. Completely agree. I mean, well, again, one of the things we wanted to thank you for as well was um, that we got to speak to Michael Price from The Simpsons because of you. It was only oh, it was in, I love that episode indirectly, and um, 
What a nice guy. What a fascinating episode as well, because I learned so much about the writing process there. And I've always been fascinated to know, you know, why is it they they go for team writing like that? Obviously got more money and stuff, but, you know, that is absolutely what they aim for is big teams of writers. And and we just don't tend to do that. No, uh, and it was fascinating hearing him say that. And yes, unlikely connection between me and Michael Price, you know, via Shakespeare in, but, in, it, on Broadway. I mean, of all <laughs> me playing a woman in an almost Shakespeare production, <laughs> who'd have thought it? And we've just stayed in touch on and off, me and Michael. And I feel now it's just a phone call, and all of a sudden we'll be hearing your voice. You imagine <laughs> Rev- Reverend Lovejoy, Francis Seaton, <laughs> maybe doing something to the congregation together. I think that would be amazing. Yes, yeah. so good. One, one can but dream. One can but dream. <laughs> it, would, it would be fantastic. It really would. Wouldn't it just? Yeah. Have you been filming on before the lockdown came through, Paul? Well, so so yeah, that was, and it's still very much, you know, it, it's in suspension, but the hope is I'll return to it. Um, it's a sitcom, um, called Chad for an American network out there, and I auditioned for it years ago for a pilot for it with Fox Network, so Fox Studios, 20th century, 21st century Fox, as it's called. It got made, pilot. Uh, it didn't get picked up for a series after a lot of umming and ahhing over a year. Then it went quiet, and then two years after that, I got a call from the creator, who's this brilliant uh, actress and comedian called Nassim Pedrad, who re- was a regular on Saturday Night Live, if you know Saturday Night Live and in America. And she, and she had written and created this series called chad about a 14 year 15 year old iranian american boy and his attempt his attempts to fit in and the agonies of growing up in america or just being a 15 year old person uh and it just so happened that his family are iranian american i'm half iranian on my dad's side and um it it, it was sort of looking at that looking at uh, how he was trying to fit in by denying his his Iranian heritage to some extent, but then also kind of how he negotiated that relationship. It's just very funny writing, quite similar in places in terms of you know a little bit of improvising to how we worked on this country and Death of Stalin. You know, so we'd we'd have it absolutely scripted and then we'd improvise a bit. Um, and a wonderful cast of characters. Um, we were filming in Portland. Uh, in Oregon, where they do a show called Portlandia and various other things. And uh, we got to, I think the whole thing was due to be 10 episodes. We got to six episodes and have filmed it. And then I got a call on a Friday saying, we've halted filming. And it's going to, it was happening all across America, but it it took a while before they made a decision on ours. And on the, the Friday, I got the news. On a Saturday, I was on a plane back. So it's all very strange. Mm. But they built set. They've got the studios. They've it's all written. They've done six out of ten. So one hopes when, and that's a big question, when filming can we start that we might pick up where we left off. Which I'm a very lucky person to have that as a potential thing, even because I have many colleagues and friends who have nothing, and uh, particularly friends and colleagues who were in theatre jobs or derived most of their income from theatre work, and they're wondering when on earth they'll ever be able Mm. to resume that um so yes so strange times all round. so you know you go from being very immersed in as we all were in our jobs and our work and everything to this whatever this is whatever we want to call this now (laughs) that that must have been the strangest um airplane flight on that saturday because did you know the reason i mean obviously at that time you knew about the coronavirus and mm, yeah so so that flight must have been really really strange was it well, very it was nerve-wracking oh right okay no by then the full fear had not people were just starting to go should we wear masks should we keep a distance from and and it wasn't quite at the full you must do this message from the government of mm. social distancing but the plane was unusually empty which was a relief uh and it was very odd just very odd to go from being fully immersed in work in this foreign country uh miles from home to being on a plane back i was hugely relieved i have to say because my worst case scenario would 
at that point, we didn't know what was going to happen. Mm. Trump was closing down flights uh, to and from the country bit by bit uh, at that point. And it looked like at one point I might not be allowed out. Um, oh, right. So my nightmare scenario was being stuck in Portland, which don't get me wrong, it's a beautiful, brilliant place. But, you know, I don't want to be on my own miles from my wife and child with all this going on. And so I was very glad to be be getting home. But it was, yes, it was very strange and it continues to be very strange. But one adapts, one, one sort of, you know, I don't want to use it, the word normal because nothing is normal, but one, one kind of gets used to it to some extent, uh, although one doesn't want to get too used to it because you want to remember what, what you want to be aiming for <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> when this is all over. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, it was very odd, but very, very glad when I walked through the front door uh, back home. It's strange how it's become the new normal, hasn't it? <laughs> yes, it has it on really every has. level. Yeah. Have on you managed level. to use the lockdown, um, Paul, to do anything creative yourself, right? Or uh, no, I, I, I feel. I mean, I do feel quite strongly. If anyone's doing something creative and and you know, getting some good things out of this, then I'm really pleased for them. I. I mean, I've been doing bits and pieces of things. I did a small playlet for um, this series of plays on BBC Four called Unprecedented, mm-hmm. which uh, I think is still going, which was commissioned by Headlong Theatre Company and with the BBC in response to the coronavirus crisis pandemic. And uh, so I had a little bit of work with that. I've done some sort of play readings for people, script readings and things like that. The odd podcast that I'm doing with you. Um, but really, my time has been taken up with what I lo- very loosely call homeschooling our son uh, and just, you, you know, just keeping everything ticking on the home front with my wife, who's been amazing. I, I, I do feel strongly, though. Great. If you're coming out with something creative from this period, fine. But if you're not, that is more than fine. And, you know, I don't I just think one shouldn't have one more thing to beat oneself up about. And it's like with homeschooling. I feel like I'm failing on every level, but we do our best. We do our best as parents. We do our best as people. And that is enough. You know, as we decided early on, my wife and I, that, um, right, our son's arithmetic might slip a bit or, or his reading might slip a bit. If it doesn't, that's great. Um, but if whatever happens, that doesn't really matter. As long as he's safe, as long as he's healthy, as long as he's loved, nothing else matters. And it's kind of the same about getting through this period the best you can. And that is enough. And mm. not to feel you ought to achieve anything from this. Because I think there is enough stuff going on in the world and day to day for everyone without one beating oneself up about not achieving things. But but in answer to your question, I've, I've been lucky. I've had a few approaches for things. And, you know, I've done the odd things and talking to people like this is is one to, to people like you is wonderful in doing this but um you know i'm not writing anything at the moment although a couple of friends have said i i should ha- I, I should maybe have a go with it but um kind of like everyone just getting through day by day i find it very hard to to deal in units of longer than a day or perhaps maximum a week and if we get through one day with no major upsets then that's a win mm-hmm. even though weekends are kind of meaningless we get to the weekend that's great we've done it we've done another week and it, it's kind of being kind to, kind to yourself isn't it because <laughs> the work <laughs> i hope will come one day it will come again um and one just tries to stay on top of things as best one can yeah, indeed. I, think, I, I think as long as you can keep your mental health just over that line to the positive rather than negative every yes. day's a win i think every yes day's a win. i agree yeah uh, before we let you go um i did want to ask you about the american remake of this country yes uh, yeah so oh yes what, what yeah. do you think about that and and that your part is going to be taken over by sean william scott well he's a good looking bastard isn't he <laughs> Well, I I'm delighted. That they, I feel that they looked to find someone that was like your equal, and they said, "Well, it's Sean William Scott, obviously." 
I the one mistake they've made with with casting him is he's only got one chin. You've got to have a double chin <laughs> if you're the Vic. Um, uh, no, in also I am fascinated to see. I think it's a uh, look. If you'd asked me this before the American office had come out, I'd have said, oh, this is probably a bad idea. It'll never work. But the American office, and to some extent, shameless, but particularly the American office, has proved that things can work. Now, having yeah. said that, there are other series that made the, the trip over the Atlantic and didn't. But it, there are similarities in feel to the office, and I can see it working in a, in a small rural American town. And I will just be interested to see which way they go with that. Um, I don't know much about the actors involved, but I, I'm sure they're fantastic and they'll have scoured the, the country to get them. Um, and, you know, I hope they managed to resume because I presume they didn't, they either started and stopped in the middle or they didn't start. Yeah, I don't know for definite whether they've, um, they've finished the pilot, but... Uh... I would assume, like you say, once everything sort of gets, in inverted commas, normal, uh, they will pick it back up again, yeah. Well, and it's fascinating because they've got Paul Feig on board mm. as a producer mm. and director. And, of course, he did, well, many things, but not least of which was The Office, episodes of the American version of The Office. Some of the so, best episodes as well, I would say. Yeah, well, I tell you mm. what, I am... Uh, so in lockdown, I've been watching stuff, as you do, when I've got free time, once, once the boy's gone to bed... My wife and I are watching things and sometimes we're watching new stuff and sometimes we're going back to stuff that everyone else has watched and we haven't. And one of those is currently The American Office. So I'm on series four right. and I cannot believe I didn't watch it until now. And I, I am blown away by how good it is. Mm. Um, and uh, you, you just think if Paul Feig is behind some of those and as you're saying, some of the the, the best episodes then it's in good hands and i i think charlie and daisy are involved to some extent as executive producers on some level so i wish them well and i'm i'm fascinated to see the american version um and it, again going back to michael price if it's picked up for series then they'll probably have a writer's room with loads of writers. They, they may go for 10 episodes, may do the classic 22 per mm -hmm. series. And they, they could run and run. You know, the beauty of the American office, because it's hard, it's not fair to compare perhaps the American with the British office. The British office was such a beautifully formed, short-lived gem, three series and moved on. Uh, but because it was three series, it couldn't explore the characters as yeah. fully for as long as the American one. And how they managed to... I don't know how many they did in America. Is it 12, 10? Nine series it was. Nine. With, I think with like 20-odd episodes in each How in they each managed series. to sustain the quality. I mean, I'm only halfway through, but everyone tells me the quality is just so high throughout. is mm. extraordinary. And I do wonder whether it's something to do with the writer's room and so many different fresh voices coming to, to write on the same series. Um, but it'll be a wonderful thing. I, I hope, I wish it every success. I think it's going to be, it's definitely going to be interesting. I do, I do hope it falls in the American office and not the in-betweeners or IT crowd of the American versions. Yeah. I really do. I think they have to, as with the office, they have to retain some of the awkwardness and some of the kind of bleakness of it. The American office didn't go as bleak as the, the British office. But it, it really captured some of the awkwardness. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so who the version of Kerry and Curtin, the US version of Kerry and Curtin, they can be as badly behaved as you like and as obnoxious as you like, but you have to find that what vulnerability and that warm heart to them, but without being sentimental, which yeah. is the great skill of what Charlie and Daisy have done. It, it, it's such a tightrope walk. Um, but if anyone can do it, it's that, it's that team there. And they, they will have Charlie and Daisy on board to, to advise them, I'm sure. Mm. So, yeah, fascinating to see what will happen with that. I just, I just want filming to start in general. It seems like, <laughs> uh, you know, when will that happen? But it will happen. We, we have to have hope, don't we? We have to have hope. Indeed. Indeed we do. Uh, uh, there's one thing I would like on, uh, Seton to do, and I still think there's time for it, is the pause for thought on BBC Radio 2. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, is that like it's like thought for the day, isn't it? But pause. Yeah, for thought. yeah. I, I'd love to do one of those if someone wants wants me to do that. I'd love to do that because I think on Radio Four they've had various people from our industry, actors and writers and composers and things like that, talking about the things they were going to be doing or reading a poem or, you know, it would be great. <laughs> Francis <laughs> Seaton would be a, a a good character to, to have on board. Yeah. Because mm. before we do go, sorry, I'm, I'm keeping right. you here yeah, again. But, um, I don't want to go. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> um, when series three came out, there was the, the whole thing on Twitter about, you know, the, there was you and the sexy reverend from Fleabag. And it was like, which, which one, which one would you have? How did that feel that you were being, you were being put on that pedestal? Well, did you see the brilliant film they cut the mashup of Fleabag and this country that oh, they no, did? I haven't seen that. You haven't seen oh, that? I need to, oh, I need to find you that. And Neil have I, got to see that. It's, I need it's to find basically, that. they have cleverly edited bits of Phoebe Waller-Bridge and, uh, Fleabag talking about the priest and then cutting to me saying things from <laughs> various episodes as Francis Seaton and it looks like they've you know they've been having an affair uh, and it, it it's brilliantly done and it I mean we had ha- always had this joke once um, Andrew Scott did his amazing performance as the hot priest in in Fleabag but you know you know the hot priest the hot priest <laughs> i am the original hot priest and we were saying we must do a little spoof bit of filming when, if we find the time on when we were actually filming to sort of show me having an argument in the corner getting really riled about andrew scott and fleabag and you know and <laughs> me paul shahidi the actor having that with tom george Batts and you know yeah, getting yeah. really really upset about it but um this was just a lovely thing so yeah we um we, I've enjoyed all that. I've enjoyed all that. Um, yes, that's what, well, that's, what, that's what made me Photoshop the uh, the Revengers. Yeah, I, I love that. We, yeah, and I, I thought, well, you have to be Tony Stark. You have to be Iron Man because you're you're the number one. <laughs> but it was, I just loved all that. I thought that was fantastic. I really did. Um, uh, Paul, thank you so much for giving us your time again. Such um, a pleasure. Always is. I've, I've said this to Daisy and Charlie and I've said this to Tom and to Simon, uh, but also to yourself, I want to thank you really from the bottom of all of our hearts for the last three series and the special. Um, we know from the fan community how much it means to everybody, uh, the work that you did and the, the performances that you put in. And for all of us, it's not just a show. It's not, it's, it's not only a show. It's something that everybody dearly, dearly loves. And it's because of yourself and your performances and the fact that you are just we've said it to Lindy every guest that we've had on this podcast that you are one of the nicest people that we have ever met in our lives <laughs> so from from the bottom of our heart we just want to say thank you for everything that you've done from episode one up to the final episode of series three so thank oh, you very much well thank you well thank you Firstly, that is just so sweet of you, and very, very much appreciated. And um, but also thank you for being such supporters of the show from day one and of all of our work because that means a lot. And um, by extension, you know, I'd also just like to thank everyone who's followed the show because it's meant the world to us, and we do notice it, and it does mean something to us. It means an awful lot. And um, but you two have been there from the start and have been such ardent supporters of us all, and that means a lot to to me. So thank you. Well, thank you again, Paul. The least we could do. And of course, well, the, the football will be in the post. Uh, Lovely. I'd like to see how long that takes to get here. We've been getting stuff from December in the post. It's weird. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and I'm sure this time next year, there'll be a BAFTA in the post for you as well, Paul. I don't know about that. But look, we'll all, we'll, just as the line goes, we'll always have Paris. We'll always have Northleach. <laughs> we'll always have Northleach. Paul, thank you so much, sir. Thank you, sir. Uh, well, please thank stay you, safe. Babe. And um, and just good luck with everything in the future. Love to your family. And, uh, yeah, just please stay safe. Thank you and love to you, you two and your families. Indeed. Thanks for asking me on again. No problem. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Take care, guys. Thank you, Take Paul. care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
there it goes. There goes the wonderful Reverend Seaton. Paul Shahidi, bless his heart. And made us feel all relaxed. Like it's a voice you could listen to for hours, isn't it? I could listen to so many audiobooks with that man. I really could. Absolutely. So do you want to do your bits, Neil? Let's do it. You can find us on all the social media sites under WTAF This Country. You can email us at WTAF This Country at hotmail.com if you want to ask us any questions or just drop us a line, please. Feel free to do so. And we have a website that you can click onto for all your this country goodies and needs at WTFpodcast.com. And you can get t-shirts like this, less of the effing and Jeffin from that website. Uh, and you can also come and be a Patreon bozo if you go to patreon.com forward slash WTAF. There are different tiers, different rewards for different prices. Just go there. All the information is there. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Uh, thank you, uh, just everybody. Please stay safe, everybody. Uh, Neil, stay safe. Oh, I'll do my best, sir. Carry on delivering your goods. Oh, I will. <laughs> and we will see you next time for another WTAF. So go and get plumbed, you fuckers. Scarecrow Festival is like the most important day of the year. Daft cow. This is just ridiculous. What the actual fuck? Hi, I'm Pav. I'm Neil. We're here to tell you about our new exciting project, the Top 10 of Anything podcast. Phenomenal. That's right, Neil. We grab a guest or two, pick a subject, then bring our own Top 10s to the pod. Yes. It could be Top 10 scary movies, Top 10 swear words, Top 10 breakfast foods, anything. Oh, you saucy devil. Indeed, Neil. Our first episode will be online very soon, so subscribe on all your usual podcast platforms so you don't miss it. Yes. The Top 10 of Anything podcast. Let's begin the countdown. Phenomenal.